A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the Marketing Madman with Trip Job and Darren Rand on Extra 106.3 FM. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with uh, frequent guest host Nick Constantino, Vice President of Sales and Business Development for uh, 680th Fan and Atlanta Braves Radio Network. It's always a mouthful, but it's great to have you and here. Extra 106.3. And Extra 106.3. <laughs> and Extra 106.3. And Southern Sports forget, Today yeah. and ESPN Radio Atlanta and the Georgia High School Football Network. Yeah. No, Say it all at one time. It is Sounds a great. gorgeous <laughs> Saturday and uh, spring is coming, as allergies have uh, told me. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like baseball's coming anytime soon, but uh, that may be a topic for next week. We may have you back on that. Yeah, let's hope it's resolved by then. I do not think so. I tend to believe, like you, that this is a, this is a long ways away, and, and this is going to be a line in the sand for several leagues moving forward and, and how business is done. And, you know, the cool thing about baseball, when you dip into the history, it's a rich, long history. Um, you open up Pandora's box and, and seeing why this is where it is. Um, depends how much of a nerd you are, but yeah. uh, as you go down that rabbit hole there's lots of things built into this labor unions racism all these things that follow american history which makes it cool but also makes the likelihood of a deal a simple deal being done whoo absolutely and i think that's a whole topic so maybe next week we'll do that because uh, there's the whole idea of negotiation and how you negotiate deals and sponsorship. Uh, probably my favorite and, probably my favorite topic right, is negotiation. But, uh, today we wanted to talk about something we've kind of teased on a little bit the last few weeks and I think it's so important for business owners and marketers to understand and that's segmentation. Yeah, for for sure. And you know, I think about, you know, there's so many choices today um and there's so many different groups that, you know, really segmenting your audience. This is not 1974 where you have um you know, Better Homes and Garden, and uh, you have uh, the soap operas, et cetera, mass media, and those are your options, so to speak, and you just hit everybody. Yeah. You can segment and micro-segment, and there's really good ways to do it, and there's ways that probably aren't the best use of your money. Yeah. I, I think I showed this once. We were doing some agency presentations. In, 30 years ago when we started, there were about you know, 12 forms of media. TV, magazines, cable was just coming around. Um, now there's probably two for 50, 300. I mean, even people that are trying yeah. to sell you stuff like Amazon also have advertising mechanisms. Everyone is trying to fight for your attention and get and get your a piece of that money. So, I mean, the options are just endless. And, and, and the sales pitches and the sales pitches, you know, one of the funny things is when I look down at, in the middle of a pitch, I'm like, Oh my goodness! Did I really just say that? It's it just feels like such a pitch because it's so competitive out there. You really right. have to hone that message, and you know you can't just walk and say, "Look, I got your best interests in mind," because everybody's saying that. And unfortunately, most people do not operate with the client's best interests, even in this form of segmentation. They're trying to make it too segmented. Like you got you know who your audience yeah, is. Yeah, you, and, and I think that's let's start with that. Let's start with an example. I'll just you know round numbers to give people an idea. Um, you know, if you're going after the mass market all right so let's say the the pot's 100 could be 100 million could be 100,000 whatever all right um 
you know, most people, unless unless you're Coke and Pepsi, obviously, you know, you're hoping, okay, do I go after and get one to two percent of this whole mass, and what's the cost to do that? So, if it's you know 100 million, then that might, means maybe you get two million people, right? Uh, to your point about segmentation, is you can start to, and we'll go into the next segment, all the different ways you can segment, and say, wait a second, you know what? There's about 20 million that we can define things down to. All right. If we can now, at a minimally, get 10%, maybe get 20 or 30%. All right. 10% is 2 million. So you already have equaled your best case in the mass. And if you get 20%, you've doubled it. You get um, 30%, you tripled it. Um, so that's one way to do it. And then I think, Nick, your point, I'd love to hear a little more on this, is sometimes you can micro segment to your benefit. And sometimes you can micro segment to your um, detriment. And, you know, the example would be, okay, well, let's go down to 1 million out of the 100 million. And let's let's think we can own all of it. Well, even if you own all of it, you're still worse off. And can you really ever own 100% of anything? Yeah. And the more the more targeted you get and the more you segment, the more expensive it is to reach those people. And the more your miscalculation adds up quickly. Right. If you're going to go down to 0.5 percent of the total market, you are so trying so hard to reach that exact person. Well, the positive is if you're right, that person has a higher propensity to spend, more likely to be loyal, all those good things. If you're wrong, you spend a lot more money to reach a lot less people. Yeah. So that 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 fine dance, and that's why I think when you talk about uh, multi-channel marketing and just and just different types of marketing, I think it always helps to have the segments in mind in the sense of how you advertise to each segment, right? You know, a B2B segment, there are businesses that do B2B and B2C. You market differently to B2B. That could be maybe your 0.5%, but you still need to have a plan on the other side because if you were wrong, it's like hedging your bets in the stock market. Well, in my years at, uh, at Old Castle, we were technically B2B2C, right? So we created the interest with consumers. We advertised in Southern Living sure. and uh, Coastal Mag- Magazine, Garden and Gun, uh, HDTV. Sure. Right. But we also had advertisements in the trade publications. We had trade programs and we brought the consumers into the B2B, the trade, the contractors and connected them. Yeah, that's and, a great point. And Atlanta's got so many corporations that, you know, Braves Baseball is a great example. A lot of those businesses there are B2B. But if you add up the hospitality and just the heightened brand association by being with the Braves, really, it's a B2B play, but you have to increase. And again, now you're talking yep. about cross-segmentation because you're trying to use two segments to achieve a goal. So again, before you, you even start, I mean, the data has changed so much. You have so much research before you do the segmentation now. It used to be instincts. You know, you used to be right. like, oh, well, I can tell by looking here, these are the guys I'm reaching. Now you, you, you have so much data on previous history. The problem also, though, is that things change so quickly now. If you think about the segmentation before COVID and after COVID, my goodness. Yes. And do you have the flexibility, the dynamism to, to really change on the fly? Probably not, because how much millions of dollars you spend on that research to pretty much go, uh-oh, and throw it all in the garbage? I mean, my goodness. So, you know, with that data also comes the reality of how quickly things change, especially in the current state we're in right now. Oh, I, I loved what you said about you, you need the data, you need the research. And if you're a business owner out there, you know, you need someone, if you're working with an agency or, um, you know, a marketing firm, you need them to come in and not only have some data, but explain it and explain it simply. 
Yeah, right? I, I like this graphic. I think I've shared it in the past. It's uh, it's Legos, and they're just thrown all over the place, yeah. and it's like data, and then it shows the, them all organized by color, and it's like sorted. Okay, then it shows a house built out of it, and it said, "This is what you need to be. Yeah. You need to take the data and present a story in which people understand what you're trying to do. You see the thing, and you go, I 'I don't know what that is.'" Then it's sorted, and it's like, oh, I get the color scheme. And then you see the house, you go, that's what it is. You have to be able to have an agency and have a, a liaison, um, you know, like Rand Dink, you know, like some of the stuff we do here, to explain that to you in, in easy terms with as much technicality as you can take on. Because I think one of the problems is business owners also tend to think they know everything. And if you take on more than you can in this, it is, this is where it's better to be safe and ask a million questions and really admit to understanding it because it is very easy to be wooed with big data and blinded by it when really it's it's really just sleight of hand to distract you. Uh, well, and I was looking here for a famous quote, and so I'll get the number precisely right, but it was a Colin Powell quote uh, that came up after his passing. R.I.P. And um, said that, you know, they asked how he made such good decisions, and he said, I've learned that once I have about 90%, well, 70, like it was actually 70. 70. It wasn't the usual 80-20. Yeah. Yeah. But it's in the 70, 75% range. Now's the time to act. I can't wait, especially he's thinking military and other strategic decisions, back to how things change so quickly. I can't wait to 90%. Yeah. I never can wait to 100 He goes, I also don't want to make the decision That's at 50, 50%. 51 So his sweet spot was in that 70-ish percent, which I think is a great way. You need to understand it. You need to have enough data that you can then make a reasonable decision yep. and uh, move from there. Yeah, and you're leaving some to instinct, which is what I really try to preach whenever I talk to people is that you know data is great, but if you don't have a sense of your business and an instinct for what's working, you're over-reliant on it, and the machines have won. I mean, it, it sounds funny, but the machines have won. I also think that to get from 0 to 70% is usually less time-consuming, less expensive, Getting from seventy to hundred, that granular data is the hard part, right? Like, you know, let's let's that's like for the it, big companies. I mean, the reality is, really, that's, and, and, yeah. and, but think about it. Think about it like training, right? If you do, if you're training to run a marathon, right? Probably pretty easy if you really train to get to the fifteen to twenty miles. Yep. That twenty to twenty six point seven, that that part, that's the hardest part, right? Like, you you know, you work out your whole life, you can be in great shape. You're not going to have a six pack magically. Getting from that zero to sixty to that end is where you get is the hardest part by far. Yeah. Okay. Um, next uh, segment, we're going to talk about the different types and really give some examples. So let's in the last two minutes here, let's kind of talk through. You know, there's kind of five types of segmentation sure. just to give the listeners a sense of what we're talking about. And the first one people think about is, you know, behavioral segmentation. Yeah. So, um, and that obviously looks at how consumers act and interact with pro uh, products. Um, that's a pretty common one. Probably the most common is demographic. Sure. I know you've got a lot of experience with demographics yeah, on the radio yeah. side. Yeah, and as we go through this, I'll talk more from the, si the eyes of the, the station marketing because the sample size is so big and we got so many so much of this different information. Yeah. The uh, third area is geographic segmentation. we got some good case studies on that, and I think that's an important one that – a lot of times people forget about, and especially if small businesses, um, that really comes into your capacity and your operating capability. And we see a lot of times where people forget uh, the geographic side and then they get customers they can't fulfill. For sure. Um, 
Uh, the next one's a, probably a little tougher one to explain, but it's called firmographic sem- segmentation, and it really looks a lot at products, industries, barriers to entry. Um, got a, a good one from years past. Um, but understanding on the B2B side, are there things that just are not going to allow you to be successful in certain types of markets? And then uh, Darren's not here, but I think his favorite is psychographic segmentation, and that's uh, you know really looking at target customers, their personality traits, and the like. So, um, you know, with that, I think uh, what we'll do in the next segment is we'll come back. We'll walk through each of these types. Uh, Nick and I both have some examples, and hopefully it gives uh, the listeners out there a chance to kind of see how you can better segment for your market. So you are listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Nick and I will be right back. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with Nick Constantino of uh, 680 The Fan, 106.3 and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. You know, we were talking about uh, the different types of marketing segmentation. So on this section, let's uh, we'll try to give you some examples and the learnings we've both had. Um, we're going to start, I think, uh, Nick, you suggested with the easiest one. Uh, why yeah. don't you kick us off uh, talking about geographic? Yeah, yeah. And by easiest, you know, this is not to imply that it's not important. It's just it's easy to understand, uh, to frame what we're talking about. So geographic can be uh, granular. It can be as granular as you want it to be. It can be there are certain neighborhoods I target. There are certain um, d- different areas of the town I target. Or it can be cities I target, regions I target, countries, international. Um, but it is constrained to a geographic portion of a segment. So that's why it's segmentation. Um, So easy to understand because it's easy to look at a map and circle and understand what we're talking about here. Uh, Much easier than if we go into something like firmographic, which has different interpretations. Um, But for the sake of geographic, let's let's kick it back to you. Um, You know, just some examples of how geographic is you've seen it work, maybe how you've seen it not work. um, And then we can go we can go from there. Yeah, no, we've uh, got a client. Um, you actually know them, Atlanta Steaks and Seafood. I do indeed. And uh, they've done a little bit of uh, work here with uh, the stations. And, you know, that's a brand awareness because they're hitting all of Metro Atlanta, right, when they're on 680 The Fan or uh, 106.3. But uh, Terry's business is delivering high-quality restaurant uh, steaks and seafood to homeowners. Well, the size of his business, he can serve well Marietta, East Cobb, Buckhead, the Perimeter, Roswell, uh, Alpharetta, you know, kind of north metro areas. Um, It's not that he can't serve some of the great parts of Atlanta like uh, Decatur and Duluth and Lawrenceville. It's just not efficient for him. All right. So when we talk about it, we can do um, the geographic segmentation and do some brand awareness for him in the whole city. So people kind of are familiar with the names. But you talked about targeting, whether it's uh, email, whether it's, you know, if he does some print, uh, direct mail, things of that nature. He really wants to focus on the geographies that are within his sweet spot. Otherwise, you know, he his capacity would go down. You know, he could if he started to get too far spread out, he might not have the same capacity because the delivery times and following up with his customers. It's very much a, um, you know, one to one type business. So, you know, we think about that and try to make sure that he's not paying for marketing in parts of the city that just doesn't make sense. So let's narrow it down, tighten it down and have that focus there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny when you go on LinkedIn, you see around that everyone's promising to teach scalability, and that and that's yeah. what you're trying to teach. And one, don't fall for it. Anyone that's trying to teach you scalability is trying to easy way to pretend they're some consultant. Your scalability is not important unless you're in a position where you can grow. If you're there, you can scale. If right. you're at a position where your business can grow, then your business can scale. You don't need someone coming in and telling you how to scale. So it's funny because you talk about geography, mm. and that's what I think immediately. I think about how business starts, they keep their scale small, they get their best practices in place, they put their systems in place, and then they scale. The first place they scale is via geography. They exactly. can extend adjacent it. adjacent markets. Adjacent Once you markets. can do it, because the reality is, and that's what I think a lot of marketers miss, is they think, oh, well, I can get you all this new business. And that's we've had that discussion with Terry. And it's not profitable, yeah. right? It, it, there's an opportunity cost, so to speak, of gaining business in certain parts of town. Yeah, uh, a great it's... product and, and go out and look at him on Facebook or uh, on his website. But um, we want to keep him right now where, to your point, he can f- fulfill the scale that he is. And, and where he wants actually, to be. Right. He might not want to be bigger. Everyone doesn't have grand ambitions of being a trillion-dollar corporation. Yeah. You know, you could run a really good business hyper-serving a, a – 20 mile radius around you and I also think one of the things and with all of these again how quickly things change you know gas prices has a big deal here right now all of a sudden you're paying double for gas so all of a sudden that transport that drive out to to Athens because you thought this is a high net worth all of a sudden doubled is it worth your time now so that's why I think that geography is so important I also think that Geography can be compu- confused with um, demographics, and, Absolutely. and and when you talk about net wealth, and I think a lot of assumption goes into geography uh, that that gets in the way. And I say that like let's assume that you know three hundred three three nine is this high net worth area. Well, it might be, but you know I live in DeKalb, and and if you, if I say Northlake, people are like uh, but then if I say off Briarcliff where I live, it's a million dollar house everywhere. So it's it's you can't not you cannot confuse those things. I think one of the mistakes a lot of people do is. They, they target by zip code. And yes. I think – I know it's cost effective, but that zip code doesn't mean you're always reaching the right people. That's the difference between geography and and, and you go into demographics, um, which is a great segue into demographics. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think one of the things as we get to the end, you're going to see how you layer things together. And sometimes, sure. you, sometimes you can use the zip code as long as you've got a broader – uh, layer in there with it so that you're right. balancing maybe the maybe you're not doing your most expensive you're leading with just something if you're a garage door company you're leading with just regular garage doors right. not carriage garage doors so you're oh, you're getting the foot in the door and then you're letting your sales guys decide which he's going to pitch when he gets there right so uh demographic i think uh, one of the classic ways to describe that is it is you know gender it is age uh sometimes it is to your point income you know for years and years dealing with a lot of print publications you know that's all they would lead with. All right, this is the, you know, 24 to 39-year-old female uh, audience, and that's, uh, you know, we've got X percent of this audience in, in this publication. Um, or it's uh, the, you know, 30 to 59-year-old male financial whatever. And look, there's value there. Yeah. And I think you probably deal with this more day yeah. in and day out, especially on the radio and some of the digital properties. Why don't you go into some of the benefits and the cons, so to speak, of sure. uh, demographic segmentation? Sure. Well, first and foremost, it's important to differentiate between quantitative and qualitative um, because this is a really big advent is the qualitative data, which is what cookies and, 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 and everything the internet brings to you. So Quantitative is simply numbers. It is age. It is it is simple things, male, female. It is simple things that are just straight numbers basis. This many per people are this. This percentage is this. 
qualitative starts getting a little bit more granular into these are the interests. This is what they like to do. This is now that's all in theory part of demographics. Um, but again, the bleed goes over to some of the other things, more psychological and things like that. So let's start with dem- demographics. Um, you know, demographics is, is such a big thing, but it's old, right? So every every company, every sports brand, everyone has a set of demographics, which is a pretty accurate depiction of who they are reaching. Okay, so it's an easy thing to understand. I think 25 to 34 year olds are who's buying my product. It may bleed over to 24. It may be up to 39, but that's my core, my core key demographic. Okay, if you know that, then all of a sudden you're putting other people out of that demographic. So you're hyper targeted on who's there. Right. Great sample size. You're you're shrinking. You're making that segment more palatable. Um, Male, female. Sounds easy. Harder these days uh, <laughs> with, with the way things are going. Um, but you have to add more categories. There's male, female, and so many other things now, um, which probably complicates it. But ultimately, um, you know you're targeting a male or a female. Qualitative is a lot more, a lot more jaded. It, it is. What are their interests? You know, what do they do in a day? You start getting into all these categories, which in theory are demographics, but the advent of the internet has gotten so much information there. And how do you track people and how do you put it here that that's where I think people run into the roadblocks. Well, and how we work and just um, a lot of things have changed over the last 30 years and, you know, our, my career anyway, that, um, you know, you don't have these hard and fast patterns anymore. Yeah. And, I, and I, I view demographic data as the table stakes. All right. Let me that's the first high level layer. Um, I, I don't make decisions on that, sure. but at least that's it helps kind to of the, it helps to know, make sure I'm not going down the wrong path, but uh, it's kind of that first filter. Yeah, it, but it's also something that can really block you because you're putting a lot of assumption into this, right? Why yeah. is a 25 to 34-year-old? What a 34-year-old what a now is not what a 34-year-old was 30 years ago. At 34, 30 years yep. ago, family was had it, picket fence was had, kids were probably 15, 16 almost at that point, 13. Um, now a 34-year-old... Most of my friends, especially in the Northeast, I mean, are probably still single, let alone having kids at that age, because one, the lifestyle, it's so much more expensive to live there. But now males yeah. and females both work pretty much equally. So the, the everything gets delayed. So a 34-year-old 30 years ago is very different than a 34-year-old is now. I mean, how many 34-year-olds you know still live with their freaking parents? I mean, yeah. who would have ever thought that would be the case? But it is an important thing to know. Well, and I think that's, that's the key point is it's better than probably reaching the mass audience if you're trying to do something more than awareness. But don't make the decision solely on on uh, demographic data because you're probably paying too much for not enough segmentation. Yeah, and I think this is also the easiest to uh, data to acquire nowadays. Um, it's also the easiest data to read too much into. Um, right. You know, if you're talking about firmographic or psychographic, a lot more thought and time goes into that. You can snap your fingers and have any bit of demographic data you want. I mean, Google Analytics is a great example, free tool. Anything you needed to know on Earth is on that and on that thing. Right. But at the same time. Uh, you know, you're not some rocket scientist because everybody else has access to it also. So really, how, how much does it really do? I mean, that's that's an area of debate. So let's get into the next one, which becomes much more complicated. And uh, but there's value there. And that's behavioral segmentation. And that really looks at uh, kind of where Nick was going. The, you know, those patterns of behavior, not that uh, they're just a 30 year old male anymore, but um, how do they interact? All right. Are they living at home? Are they on their own? Um, are they a research buyer? Are they an impulse buyer? Are they a luxury buyer? Um, it really starts to look at um, how they go about uh, their lifestyles yeah. and uh, thus behaviors and taking those behaviors and starting to develop premises 
for how they might interact with your product or service. Yeah, I think that the other, the key word that's thrown around now, and it's another one that just irritates me, is consumer journey. Um, and everyone <laughs> wants to be like, well, let me tell you how the consumer journey. Well, that's not how I buy anything, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So consumer journey, behavioral, right? Do they do research before they buy a car? Do they go, how many times do they go into a dealership before they purchase that car? Those are the things, and again, you may think that you know who you're reaching by getting this information, but I, this is the one that is the easiest to be wrong about because you're making broad assumptions because you cannot know what an individual person does. You can just know what your maybe the on the average does, and it is very easy. I'll tell you, if I'm if I'm trying to buy a car online and I walk into a dealership and they try to sell me something else, I'm out. I'm out. I'm yep. bashing them on the internet because you just don't understand what I'm trying to do. I told you what I'm trying to do, and you're trying to make me do something else. So it's a, it's a tr it's a slippery slope, I think. Yeah. So let me. Uh, we've got a case study on our website, randyinc.cc, that um, uses a lot of the behavioral segmentation methods in it. It's sure. not a hundred percent, but sure. uh, I'll give you an example. This goes back a few years. Goss RV, and. You know, so they all of a sudden had competitors come into the RV market. Now, yeah, let's frame that. You're selling a hundred thousand RV, so this right. is this well, is automatically a super small segment of people that can even afford it. So this is that much more important. And it's not just selling. This is also rental, okay, vacations and uh, things of that nature. So, a um, couple of uh, businesses came in and they took the mass, you know, internet market, owning yeah. SEO. They went after everybody. Yeah. All right started spiking all the keywords Camping when you world, think about some, some, rental. Of those, some of those big guys exactly so um so their first approach was oh let's just fight back with some of these keywords well as darren and the team came in um what they said oh stop stop spending yeah let's really understand you're not going to win that bidding understand who your market guys. is and in the first part the the people they understood the behaviors best were their past customers so started right there and created a campaign and program email newsletter around their past customers because that's the one they had all the behavioral data. Then using that, they started to look at, you know, what what were those behaviors, the things? So all of a sudden it became a couple of uh, interesting markets. Some of them was the uh, horse market, all right, the, the big horse shows, uh, events like that, NASCAR. Um, so these long weekends, big big events where people looked at other options for staying in a hotel, right? Yeah. Um, because there were a lot of people there. And, and what they found out was these huge sporting events were an opportunity for a certain population to have this alternative. You know, they fly in with a jet potentially. Sure. Um, and then they have an RV versus going and staying in a hotel with you're more, you're more 500 in control. other people. You're more exactly. in control. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was the behaviors. Well, as you started doing that, that's where you started segmentation, how they use digital the and search engine marketing, where, what types of, you know, I mentioned Garden and Gun earlier. That's the type of publication that gets focused on some of these type events. There are a few yep. others out there. And so that's where the dollars started to get spent. So using those behaviors, existing customers, all of a sudden um, the number of leads went down. But the effectiveness right. of the closing of the leads went up. The effectiveness uh, was up like 30-some percent and business up in the 30, 40 percent So you're spending range. less money to reach people more likely to buy. Exactly. That goes back to the original example of, hey, let's don't get to one to two million in the mass. Let's go back to a uh, segmented version yep. and let's get 30 percent of that 20 million. And yeah. that's kind of what happened.
Yeah, I think here digital is really a cool. Uh, there's a cool tool here, and I, and again, I, I I think digital is a great tool, and this is one of the examples, right? So you have an email group, your email database that can be cross-referenced with social media accounts. You create an audience profile because social media accounts has so much data on a person. Now you got a twenty thousand person sample size, which you can simply tell Facebook to duplicate of people that are not current consumers. Yeah. Because those data points are so numerous and there's so many data points, you have a pretty good secondary sample size duplicated of the ones you already have as customers, which allows you to market. Now it's expensive, it is technical, but think about it. Think about taking it with with a million data points. Think about it easiest to say this exact guy. I want him, but he doesn't do business with me yet. Yeah. That is one thing that Google does really well, that Facebook does really well. So it is a tool. Now, the problem with that tool is it's not going to work a million times. It's going to work once. So you better know damn well yeah. who that audience is, what it is before you try to take on that tactic, because that tactic is not going to – now, your digital agency is going to tell you it's going to yeah. work over and over. But think about it. There's no chance it's going to work. And if it is, then you're not reaching the right sample size on the first time. So, No, that's a great point. And that's, you know, that's where you have to adapt. And that's where you have to, you know, always. always, you know, and that goes back to some of the things we're talking about, the old, age old of, oh, all right, let's just look at this demographic data. You you do have to keep analyzing and seeing where you are, which, well, well, you know. Insane. And I think firmographic, uh, I don't even know what the heck that is. So I'm going to throw <laughs> this one over to you. I, I have some ideas uh, I, and I'm guessing business specific to your a firm. Of, but my goodness, that's a, that's caught me off guard. A lot them. of B2B. And so I'll use an example back in my days in uh, Nina Paper. We were in the medical packaging business. And so there was a. You know, the, the high end of the segment was we competed in and DuPont and Tyvek competed in. So if you think about medical devices from pacemakers to, you know, the uh, hip replacements, knee replacements, uh, scalpels, all the way you know, down, um, they have to ha- come in packaging that can be sterilized. And you also need, usually there's a plastic piece and then there's a, a barrier, which is either paper or some non-woven uh, like Tyvek uh, that can be sterilized, all right? But you can also see it. Well, what we found out was we could compete technically with Tyvek, um, but there we, we micro-segmented that $100 million market into kind of five categories. And pacemakers were the, the highest end. Uh, then we got into uh, body replacement parts, you know, knees, joints, uh, pre- legs, um, things like that for, uh, you know, car accidents and the like. And what we found as we worked our way down was – um, businesses, there was a risk, all right? If you're putting, if you're Medtronic and you're putting a pacemaker in, I don't care if I save $1.50 on my medical device packaging because this is a $100,000 medical device. Why am I going to risk anything, right? The lawyers are just going to say it's not worth it. We, we could care less. We've spec'd this out. The risk to change is far too great. And so that's kind of how I look at firmographic is you have to understand the barriers to entry. You have to look at, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you technically can do something. Is there any chance that your product is going to fit in that other business's environment? That's it. I got it now. Barrier to entry is is one of the most important things in business. And and when you open a business, that is – Everyone's dream is to open in an industry with not a lot of barriers to entry. So now, now it makes complete sense. Got yeah, it. and so where we ended up is we ended up kind of in the fourth and fifth categories and scalpels, uh, you know, single-use uh, devices that uh, were probably over-designed. I mean, that really became the piece. A lot of them got designed because that same Medtronics made the pacemaker while well, they made other products, you know, syringes, needles, scalpels, things like that. And that's where they started. And so those are the areas that, for us, we had the chance to say, boy, we can own 
30 or 40. We're never going to own 60% sure. of the market, but we can own 30 to 40%, and that makes sense for us. Yeah, that makes sense. So we, we actually fell into um, some firmographic data then. Uh, when we were expanding our digital operations, we wanted to get into podcasting because the barrier to entry in the sense of we were already doing audio was low, but the competitive nature was insane. Everyone was trying yeah. to do a podcast. So the reason we fell into it is because what we found out was when we started putting ourselves out there, uh, it was being done so poorly by other people because it had grown so fast that nobody grew the right way, and we were offering something that people couldn't, right? Because we yeah. started first and foremost on, look, we know how to make audio. We're in this studio right now. We know how to make audio. And so yeah. we had the technical backing, maybe not necessarily the industry expertise, so we fell backwards into something that we are firmographically really well on in a segment that we had no idea that we thought we were going to just do to do, and now all of a sudden it's a booming vertical. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's finish up on uh, psychographic segmentation, which gets into uh, you know looking at those traits uh, to make purchasing decisions. And I know that's one you uh, you probably run into a lot here at the station. So I'll let you kind of give some examples and your thoughts about how you use uh, with clients uh, yeah. psychographic. Yeah, this is a tough one, and I I say tough because I just think I'm a different consumer. Um, Because I've been in marketing for most of my life, it is not easy to trick me into buying something. You know, it happens every once in a while. I'll tell you, I just bought a pair of uh, Allbirds shoes, and it just hit me so many times on that thing, and I was like, eh, they're on sale, I'll buy it. So that was probably the only time that that really worked. But a car ad is not making me buy a car. That's just not me. So the the psychological part of this is hard for me to understand how important it is. Now, when I look at my consumers, I understand the psychology of who that audience is. 6A The Fan listener, I know exactly who that person is, psychologically what motivates them. You know, you find new things out as you go. One of the things when we added extra as a, a sample size, they're family people. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that I didn't expect them to be family people. Look, I'm a, I'm a Yankee. I, I know divorce so so much around me up there, especially. Right. But down here, I assume because it was that macho, macho guy games that they would, they would not be as good of family guys. But my goodness, they are. A family is one of the most important things to these people. So so that's a psychological thing. So what does that mean? Well, safety for your cars, uh, vacation houses, not just for you, for the people around you, estate planning, all those right. things that open up by better understanding the, the psychology of how they make purchases. I also think data is not telling you this stuff. Well, and I think the other one that to me falls in here is a lot of times the use of influencers. And um, yeah. I know, but I hate the word. But that's what we're talking yeah, about behaviors. I and I think I, I told you because there's, wa- there's trust built. I was walking in the station today, and I ran into Frenchie. He was getting ready to do a little shoot uh, over by the stadium, and so uh, I mean, Frenchie's an influencer. He is, sure. you know, used a lot in ads and, sure. and that same type of thing. Of what we're talking about, people look at, you know, who's their audience, and then they think about, oh, well, if Frenchie is, you know, advertising this truck or yeah. this product. That gets into the use of psychographic. And that's ironic because I, I made that noise. I literally just put my video out uh, tomorrow about influencers and how we have them. I just hate the word because the association is with 21, 16-year-old girls on Instagram. Yeah. And that's just the wrong thing, right? Our endorsers, Frenchie's a great example. Frenchie has done influencer endorsements for us before yeah. because he is trusted. So psycho- psychologically, you're more likely to want to aspire to who Frenchie is and yeah. buy the things he does. So that's why it's important. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point because yeah, my, my my early part of influencers was TikTok, and we all know my uh, mm-hmm. my view of TikTok mm-hmm. out there. So, uh, hopefully, you know, we've gone through the five types of segmentation: so behavioral, demographic, geographic, 
firmographic and psychographic. Um, hopefully give you a better sense of, you know, the steps. You do not have to use all five. I think that's uh, one of the things of, um, you know, A, it would cost a lot of money to yeah. incorporate all but of they these. Do, but they do overlap. At, at any point, the deeper you look, the more they overlap with each other. Right. And I think the key is figuring out for your business um, which ones you need to be focused more on. And so in the last segment, you know, we'll kind of go into that. All right. Some, uh, some ideas, some best practices, how you can look at using segmentation to uh, get better ROI in your marketing and advertising. So uh, you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We will be right back. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with uh, Nick Constantino, uh, VP of Sales and Business Development for 680 The Fan and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. 6.3. There we go. We don't yeah. have to do it every time. Yeah, but um, we're we've talked about segmentation, and I think in this last segment, let's talk about uh, maybe a little bit of the hows and best practices. And if you're a you know a small business out there, a marketer, you know some ways that either you can do this or you can get support and help doing yeah. Uh, segmentation. Yeah, this has changed. So so much with tools, and we're, we're probably in two weeks, so this will already be outdated. Um, but I think the first step, and if you're not doing this, uh, it is something that you need to understand quickly, is CRM. Uh, you need to have a system to archive all of your previous business endeavors, your sales activities that needs to talk to your merchandising. You need to have a system, and it could be rudimentary. It could be Excel. It could be it could be QuickBooks. I'm not saying you need to pay for there's, Salesforce. There's free ones. There's, there's free ones. HubSpots out there there's with free a free one, version. But you need that system, and the reason is is because when when you take data, it is all about you know everything at its core is a spreadsheet. Right. Anything. If we talk Google Analytics, if we go into Tableau, all the all you're doing is taking spreadsheets and re in, 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 resetting and setting them up differently so you can visualize yeah. data. But you can't do that if you are not tracking the systems in which you do it. There's nothing wrong with keeping a spreadsheet of who the person is, you know, what, what they bought, where their address was, what their zip code was. The more advanced and easy that system is, the more you can start to understand the segmentation. So I think first and foremost, and I, I think, Trip, you, you can do, you'll give a little better because you've dealt with clients at a more granular level. But, I mean, how important has they been to your clients? Do they do, they do it on average? Do they do a good job of it? What have you seen out there? I would say most of the small to mid-sized businesses we deal with um, have a view of who their customers were from, in many cases, five to ten years ago, and they don't have a good sense because they haven't looked at the data of how it's changed. So I'm going to assume then the systems aren't in place to very easily and readily see that data. They may have it, but is it being interpreted for them it's so not, they get a, a dashboard where they see all that they're stuff? Looking, they're looking more at the results and, hey, am I growing? You know, I've got uh, a, a great client, um, you know, that we talk about Aquascape Environmental, and they look at, you know, the broad segments. You know, are they property managers? Are they commercial? Are they past customers we haven't dealt with in a while? Are these new customers or are they marketing and driven? And so they're looking at these high-level areas, and they're not, you know, diving in quite as much. So, you know, we kind of go in there and say, you know, what your thoughts were on past customers may not be what they really are today. For sure. 
you know. So, For sure. Um, but that's uh, that's a great point. Start with your data. Start with uh, CRM and or I think the some systems, type of database. The systems in which you collect data, right. that has to be put in. And it's going to take, you know, you might not get the results you want right away, but if you don't have that, you're, 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 you're in a worse spot than if you did have it. Yeah. And then number two, what are you trying to accomplish? I mean, we always come back to this. Sure. You know, back to the early point of, hey, maybe you don't want to scale. Maybe you don't want to be in a certain part of town. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And that might it might be profitability. You know, it could be versus sales growth. Yeah. Um, but what are you trying to accomplish? And then really taking the data, what you're trying to accomplish, and starting to put together a matrix of, you know, the potential markets, um, what the adjacencies. And there's, look, there's different tools that we use at Rand Inc. Um, sometimes I use what is referred to as kind of the uh, spider web chart. Sure. You know, where uh, if you look at it and you see all these, you know, kind of triangles sure. going further and further out, sure. it's taking some of those, maybe it's the demographics, maybe sure. it's the behavioral type sure. actions, and start to say, you're in this area, you're in that sure. area. Um, what does it cost to get further out sure. in that spider web? Sure. I think another good one, like the old school Venn diagram, I think is a great person. I think you put yeah. the two sides, what overlaps in the middle probably is a good place to start and focus your attention on as as you go. Yeah. And maybe, maybe again, it's th- those far ones that are 30 miles out are, are not taking your time. That's not in your sweet spot, right. but establish that sweet spot for sure. Right. And this isn't marketing we're talking about yet. I mean, I think one of the mistakes people make is that CRM and stuff, that, that's not marketing. Those are tools in which you need to market effectively, but those you should not be spending your marketing budget on implementing those tools because those are those are business strategies that you have to understand before you can start talking about using these segmentation tools. Absolutely. And please don't, you know, get the here's what we get. Well, I did a Facebook campaign and it was really effective for me. Well, who are they going after? Is their business the same as your business? It's probably not the same because I don't think your competitors are going to yeah. tell you that. And, and what, so, what do you mean effective? Did it drive sales or did it drive views? What 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 is the effectiveness? Everyone's a, in, interpretation of effectiveness is different. You know, most businesses that we deal with, I'm sure that you deal with, yeah. effectiveness is relevant to bottom line. You can be tricked into believing that it's other things, but yeah. if that activity did not drive sales ultimately, then I hate to say it, but that's probably a failure because ultimately we're not in business to make friends on Facebook. Exactly. And, you know, that's a hard way of putting it, but you know what I mean? (laughs) No. And and brand awareness. Look, there's times where you want to increase brand awareness, but, you know, that can't be your only goal. With an intention of eventually driving sales. Exactly. And and, and the correlation is really hard to draw. And that's where we really get into the problem with a lot of these tools is everyone's promising trackability. Let me let me promise you something. If someone tells you that they're going to be able to track you clicking on a banner ad and then your phone will follow to you walking in the store and they're going to they're lying to you. They're said that system doesn't exist. Privacy has made that near impossible. And if that person has an iPhone, they're lying to you double time because it is actually made impossible to do. So if you're being told Mm -hmm. that you're being told a five year old marketing story that is not going to work, um, I, I would encourage you to ask deeper, do some research on the back end as to why. Um, but those kind of things, those kind of attribution tools are not as accurate as they say they are. And the people who are doing those will probably tell you that if you ask them. Oh, I love it. And, you know, we could spend a whole day talking about attribution. Um, Imper- think- very important. You have to use it. I'm just saying that it is not as cut and dry as people make it may believe no. it to be. There, There is no single way. There's not first touch or last touch attribution. Those are just methods of tracking the data um, because we all know that true attribution of your marketing and advertising toward that purchasing decision is that path, and it hits multiple s- steps. Everyone's different. So, um, But, again, that's a whole different 
topic. So yeah. um, I think the key is, so if, if businesses are out there looking, is make sure, again, what are you trying to accomplish? Start looking at the data. Does it make sense? Are they telling you a story that makes yeah. sense? I mean, uh, you know, Nick's going off and uh, all his expertise, and there's times where I'm going, whoa, you know, do most people understand all this? And if people are just talking a mile a minute and they can't relate it to you, you're in trouble. Stop. And, and, and that's a really good point. And, and I think most importantly, you know, as a wake-up call, guys, if you do not understand the analytics of your website, stop what you are doing. Call Trip and Darren. Call somebody who can explain to you. Not not send you links and show you. Oh, these channels are this. You need someone who's going to walk you through it with baby steps. Now, uh, if I'm going to be rude here, and yep. I'm going to do it, there is so much free literature out there and training out there. You are doing yourself a disservice by not taking the time to understand it. I was not classically trained in digital. I have no backing in it whatsoever. And I took the Trade Desk has really good trainings on it. I LinkedIn has a LinkedIn ton of is training. Amazing. Google Analytics will allow you to be Google Analytics certified for free. And if you have not been paying attention, institutions like Google are starting their own training programs because college degrees are becoming close to worthless to a certain capacity. They mm-hmm. will start their own institutions where those those certifications will be as important as certain college degrees. The information is out there. It, I find it ironic that in the world we live today where more information is available, people have more excuses as to why they don't know things. And I know I'm sounding harsh here, and I'm, my intention is not to, but if you don't understand the analytics and the data of your website, how you're getting it and how to use it, you're doing yourself a disservice in your business. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, fantastic, Nick. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And I would say that if you do have those questions, yeah, reach out to her. Look at our website, randink.cc. Um, we do an assessment. So we'll do a free call and take a quick look, give you some thoughts, and uh, you can take it from there and compare that to maybe what you've been told. So for sure. um, great discussion today on segmentation. Maybe next week we'll get into negotiation and baseball. Maybe we'll have some news on baseball by next week. Um, so uh, hope everyone has a fantastic week. Thanks for joining us, Nick. And you have been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. 